welcome everyone to another episode of coffee with experts and today we have chris peer chris is a very good friend and he's the founder and ceo of sync show chris has also written a book the great eight pillars of marketing and that book is amazing welcome to the show chris <laughs> thanks my bob i appreciate it cheers man it's really good to have you on the show and we've known each other now almost for a couple of years and i i've been thinking to get you on the show and today finally we get a chance to talk to each other about your journey and the various things you've experienced and your book as well chris you started with as a graphic designer with designing greeting cards and then you moved on to running your own agency how was the transition i would love to know the details of how you actually from being a graphic designer gra- graphic artist to running a agency how did that transition happened yeah it was a lot of ignorance and arrogance i think so i i worked for american greetings designing greeting cards and what i learned at american greetings as a side note is every greeting card has multiple people touch it there's painters and artisans and hand letterers and lettering artists and finishing artists i was actually not designing them from scratch i was putting all of the artists work together so that they could be printed and adding some design components along the way but as i was doing that i always wanted to own my own agency i think i always really loved doing freelance work okay and i just never had the wherewithal or the time to do it and after my stint with america greetings i went on to work with ernst and young Yeah. And they owned an education and training division called Intellinex. And while there, I was a graphic designer there building out education adult training and learning programs and I became a project manager. And at the time they had fallen on some hard times and I just I I didn't like the way the company was going and I didn't like what they were asking of me and I just felt like I could do it better. Okay. Okay. Uh, and my wife had a great job and we right. decided we we had some infertility issues and we couldn't have a baby so i'm like all right let's start the company and that's going got, to be our baby i got one $6000 client this was 21 okay. years ago wow. i quit my job and i said if we don't pay taxes to the end of the year we can survive and it, i just started going crazy after that and like just putting my head down and working really hard and then ironically 3 weeks after i quit my job we found that we were pregnant with our first daughter and oh wow nice so it's uh, she's going to college in 2 weeks so yeah nice so in a way you had twins one your company and one your baby right almost at yeah. the same time yeah awesome yeah so that's amazing chris tell me like why growing up did you ever think you will you'll end up running an organization you'll end up running an agency or a business did you ever have have that thought no what kind Next. of a child were you like what were you very hard working mischievous what were your traits back when you were growing up i think i was nerdy i was always very young for my age i always okay looked younger i never played sports in high school and middle school i didn't play sports i always liked creatives and being alone with myself and my thoughts um it wasn't until college until i started to break out to my out of my shell and joined a fraternity and became the house manager and then I I finally got some opportunities for some leadership and right I realized I enjoyed it 
And so if ENY was going well with you, would you have still continued to work there or do you think you would start your own agency? Was What was the trigger point? Was getting frustrated at work at ENY, was that your trigger point or something else which kind of finally led you to, okay, I have to do this. Take that call. I think it was a accumulation of things. I After college, all the jobs I had, I felt were my training to be able to start a company. Okay. Like okay. I, I was thinking like I worked for a marketing agency. I worked for, I was learning the business side of the world. And I think if the experience at Ernst & Young had been really positive and I had more opportunities for growth, I may or may not have left. Yeah. I, I lost for a second too. Yeah. The transition as your, to your original question, it was tough. Okay. Okay. It was tough. <laughs> <laughs> And Sync Show, what, what gets, what's the significance of the name? So ironically, the name was started by my business partner, my original okay. business partner. Uh, right. We're no longer partners now, but he came up with the name Sync Show and it was the synchronization of the display of information. So okay. back when he created it, it was a lot more like flash animations and yeah. integrated yeah, I was video. checking on web archives. You would do a lot of website, flash, uh, multimedia. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so. we just didn't want to change it after all these years, but because we got some name recognition now. Yeah, absolutely. And for the first 10 years of your business, you started in 2002 and till 2012, you were running it with a partner and then you had a pivot almost. You niched down, you changed your direction. So let's talk about the first 10 years uh, of your journey. What were the challenges? How was it growing the organization from zero to one? Back when you started 2002, there was very little websites were hardly like the technology was HTML. I remember 2003 when I built my first website, I used the software called Dreamweaver. <laughs> and things have been evolving. So what kind of challenges did you face? What was the pivotal moments in the first 10 years of your journey and then maybe I'll, we'll talk about the second part of your uh, journey yeah no those years were tough when you start a business yeah i didn't go to business school so when i started a business there's no handbook that says this is how you do it at least there wasn't yeah. back then and so we did work for anybody that would pay us any type of business, any size business, and really any kind of marketing project, whether it was branding or website development or you name it, we would take it, we'd figure it out, we'd do our best to do a good job. And over those 10 years, we didn't make really much money because right. we were making a lot of mistakes and hiring the wrong people and things like that. And I think it was at that 10-year mark, my business partner and I, we had been investing in our own technology Right. And our own, our own um, content management system software. Okay. I think a lot of agencies were doing that back then, but yeah, we thought ours was the best. And anyway, we had a client situation that kind of happened and they were on our software and we built their website on that software and they moved off of it and went to a tool called HubSpot. <laughs> and in 2011 or 12, when this happened, I had never heard of HubSpot. Yeah. Early so days we were up. arrogant and we're like, yeah. oh, they'll come back. So six months later, they called us and they said, hey, we want to talk to you about the website. And I'm like, 
we laughed and we said, oh, they're going to come back. They don't like HubSpot. <laughs> and so I went and met with them and they never mentioned anything about coming back to our platform. They had another project. I said, how's that HubSpot thing going? And they're like, it's amazing. It's awesome. We love it. I drove back to the office that day and told my business partner, we were no longer doing our software. We were going to become HubSpot partners. And he had a different dream and a different vision. So we ended up parting ways. And now we've been our HubSpot Platinum partner and we've been doing it yeah. for all these years. And yeah, I was just seeing yesterday, like I remember 2017, I was at Inbound. This was in Boston and the valuation of HubSpot was, I think at that point, they just touched a billion dollars. And just yesterday or day before I was checking and now it's $20 billion worth. Yeah. Yeah, they've done a tremendous job. Like, oh, it's a great the, platform. The ecosystem, it's amazing. So, okay, so 2012, you decide to start being a HubSpot partner and that kind of, you also decided into focusing on a few niches versus doing everything. How did yeah. that decision come into picture? When you're doing business for everybody, and we had to do some really personal introspection and say, what are we really good at? And who do we like working with? And mm -hmm. I think that was the big piece of it. We worked with a lot of different personalities and some of them were great and some of them were horrible. And I just feel like life is too short and we have a right to be happy. So yeah. we adapted a no asshole policy where we don't let assholes on our team as employees or work with vendors that are or clients. Okay. Fair um, enough. We had, we've actually fired some clients if they weren't treating our team well. Okay. And what we realized was the, the business to business companies that we worked with, especially in the industrial markets, like transportation, logistics, manufacturing, distribution, and warehousing were great people to work with. They're just salt of the earth, like really good people. And, and we had a lot of experience in those verticals. So we decided let's just niche and focus on them. What, what do you think makes certain industries, people in certain industries good versus other industries? Not just, just so, this is so intriguing, right? Like, how's that even possible? Is it like, I don't know, like certain professions make you more aggressive or more like having more attitude, like a lawyer would be like, okay. I'm a lawyer, I, I win cases, I fight all day, and that becomes their personality as well. Or do you think there's any other reason for this? I, I know this is a little bit off topic, but just curious, what do you I, think? I, no, I think it, it, it's some of that. I think certain, certain types of businesses, they've got different pressures and stresses in their lives, mm -hmm. so, which can change the dynamic. Certain industries are very steeped and knowledgeable in marketing and they have very high expectations of marketing. And there's a lot of pressure on the in, their internal marketing teams to perform. And so they're always in a rush. They're always very hyper attentive to things. And with the industrial space, many of them haven't done marketing and they haven't invested in marketing and they trust you and they want, they see you as a valued partner, not right. a vendor. And that was really important to us. We didn't want to be a vendor because we weren't a take orders kind of group. We thrive when we can go in and help a company to grow by helping them craft better value propositions and putting together a whole ecosystem for their growth. Right. So that's how it happened. 
Fair enough. And it's very interesting how you say, okay, it's the people in that particular industry which led you to choosing that industry as the industry you want to work with. It says a lot about you as a person and your core values. And I know you operate a lot by the core values. Would you mind sharing what your core values are in your business, which you practice, you preach within your team? Yeah, sure. So we don't have specific documented core values. Sure. But we really have an ethos that we go by. And mm-hmm. one is just treat everybody with respect. See it, own it, do it is a phrase we use. So take accountability for your work and your professionalism and, and your career. We really try at, at Sync Show to have more of an entrepreneurial mission. Okay. We used to have standard core values, respect, integrity, dedication. <laughs> And we just realized like everybody says that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Actually, we've really transitioned more to descriptors of how we expect our team to support others on the team, our clients, and just doing the right thing. Okay. Even if it costs us money, right. Own, right. own your actions, those kinds of things. Yeah. Okay. Great. As an organization, how, how do you structure your organization? Like you, you're uh, the founder, CEO, now uh, the president. Underneath you, who are the people? How, how do you segment your organization into various departments? You got, and how has this evolved over time? Maybe since if, you, if we talk about the last five years, what exactly has changed in, in that particular area, the structure of your organization? Yes, we really just separate the company in really the two different halves. One is client services and one is non-client services. So on the non-client services, we have operations and finance. Okay. And then we've got HR, recruiting, benefits, and education and training for our team. And then on the client services side, I think some of the bigger changes we've made as we've grown is we used to have one person overseeing all of client services all client strategies and client relationships. Now we've got a vice president of client services who oversees all the operational infrastructure. So all, all our systems and processes, how we do work, efficiency, team utilization or billability, productivity. We, then we also have a, we have a newer director of client strategy that rolls about two years old, two and a half years. Okay. And that person's just responsible for client strategic vision, client happiness, right. and client attention. Nice. Okay. And then so, we have the account managers that you know, right. report up to that. Chris, we met at Nashville a couple of years back. And I remember you being a little frustrated about the state of your organization. And then we've been talking and now I see a almost a 360, 180 degree change in the way things are. So you definitely did a lot of right things in that period of time. Would you share with our audience, what are those things? What are those actions which you took, which changed the direction of your organization from where it was to where it is right now? Your your profits have increased. Your growth rate is up almost by, I think, 25%. So that's that. these are great numbers. What What changed between then and now? So when you saw me in Nashville, um, I was in a bad place. I, I was really burnt out. I was very stressed out. We were just coming out of COVID. We had 
major employee retention issues. In 2021, we lost 52% of our team. They resigned or moved on. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. It's hard to run a business when you've lost half your team and you're replacing them and you're spending a lot of money with recruiters and spending a lot of extra time training and bringing people on board. So I was in a pretty, pretty tough spot. Profits were down. Revenues were stagnant, which we were very fortunate they were stagnant. What we did was we really got serious and we said, well, why are we doing this? Like, what's the why behind this? And we love marketing. We love serving our clients. We love helping them grow. But if there's no value back to us, it's very difficult. So we realized that we had been losing profit margin year over year for probably three or four years. Okay. And we were bringing in a lot more revenue, but making less money than we were three, four years earlier. I'm like, this is ridiculous. So what we did, and this was last year, late last year, we put together a new strategic plan that said, we're going to focus on profitability. We're going to focus on retaining our clients, great relationships, and treating this like a real business. And we implemented a number of things like I'm happy to talk about, but yeah, the result is our profit margins have never been higher. This year, we're doing fantastic above industry averages. and. Even though we planned for no growth, we're seeing significant top-line revenue growths too, which weren't planned. They just happened. So we're very fortunate. Uh, We're very blessed at this point. So what would be that top thing which perhaps, you know, played a pivotal role in the whole transition? You said a number of things. Maybe you you can talk about one most important. I actually think there were four. Um, Okay. So real quick, I'll go through them. One was we created an executive scorecard. Okay. So every week we meet, we follow the entrepreneurial operating system and yes. that process for those that are familiar with that. So we meet every Monday in our L10 meeting and I implement an executive scorecard. And I did two things on that scorecard is one, I made my VP of client services accountable for reducing our cost of goods sold. Okay. Those numbers were getting higher and higher every year and way above where they should have been. Number two is I made my directive client strategy accountable for client retention and client growth. Okay. And so he's now eight months, seven months into the year, and he's like very close to hitting his annual goal for client growth. So the most client growth we've ever had with existing clients. So those are two things. The third thing was we implemented utilization and time tracking. Okay. Did you, did we you used do to do it yourself? and we got away from it over COVID. Sure. So you, did you do it yourself or did you get any external agency to help you implement the whole utilization and, or any softwares which enable you doing it well? Yeah. We switched over to ClickUp as our project management tool. And then we right. used an extension or a, a third party software called EverHour. Yeah. To integrate for tracking hours. That's been amazing. That whole process was a ton of work, but now we have insight as to who's doing what and when and who has bandwidths. So that was really important. And then the fourth thing is we just stuck to our budgets. We really just, we looked at our team and said, I talked to so many other marketing agency owners and they focus on the top line growth. And I talked to a couple folks and they were like, double our revenues, but making less money than me. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, if you just optimize, you can make a ton of 10 more money. Yeah. Those were the four big things we did. Nice. It was like, I, I read your book and it's such a nicely written book for anyone who's, who wants to do marketing for their own business. I think that should be, it should be the Bible for them. What led you to write this book? What was the reason behind actually initiation of uh, writing of this book? I'll share you the long story, but because I, I, I outlined it in the book, but yeah, basically I hired a new VP of sales, John Daters, or I'm sorry, VP of client services, John Daters. And he started asking some probing questions after he started working here. And basically, are we really getting these kinds of results for our clients? Are the uh, case studies like 10x, 10x ROI? That's insane. If you talk about it, yeah, I think he was not wrong. If you talk about it to anyone, they'll be like, okay, that doesn't uh, sound right. Yeah. We had one client with a 27x ROI. Wow. <laughs> we realized we were good cooks, but didn't have recipes. We were winging it. We were just like customizing every single client. And so the book was written. It's really not a how-to marketing book. It's more about how to build your marketing infrastructure so that you can get a return on investment. And we just incorporated all of our mistakes we've made and all the things that we found that did work Yeah, and compiled them all into these eight different categories. And out of the eight categories, which is that one particular pillar, which you think if that pillar is done wrong, nothing else will work out. I know it's like a car where all four wheels need to work together, but is there any one, one pillar, which is the most critical of the pillar, which people mostly do wrong? Yeah. It's pillar number two, value proposition, messaging, and branding. Right. By, yeah. by a long shot. Talking about value proposition, every company is different. Even if you talk about just manufacturing companies, each one ha has a different value prop. So how deeply do you get involved with a client in figuring out their value prop, working with their teams one-on-one? -on -one? And how do you scale such a offering? Like at end of the day, in an agency, you want to scale up things to a level where kind of, you know, you're repeating your processes and systems. How do you manage to do that? So every company I've ever talked to Mm -hmm. If they want marketing or they want marketing help, it all boils down to one reason. They want more sales, right. either new business sales or growing customer sales. And so when you start having a sales conversation and how marketing contributes to sales, it changes everything. So what we realize, and, and you mentioned manufacturing, many manufacturing, a lot of the companies we serve are very commoditized. Okay. And so the only way a lot of them can compete is on price, which that's a, a bad place to be if you're always competing on price, because then you're not making any margins. So how do you charge more for your services or how do you get chosen more often? It's really your value proposition. But most companies, I'd say 95% of companies never craft a well-articulated and differentiated pro value prop. They don't know how. It's very difficult. They tell a story, but their story isn't unique. What we found is almost every company has a unique story to tell. We just got to figure out what it is. And so we start every engagement with value prop. Right. And making sure that we can tell a well-crafted story. And then we 
work on the messaging and the branding to support that. And once you have that, then it's okay. How do we take this to market? We have to do all your marketing, your website, social media, which is that transition question you asked about how do we scale this? Yeah. Well, if, if you buy a race car, but never take it out of the garage, what's the use of having it, right? You need, need to put gas in it. That's how we scale it. And most of our clients are with us for multiple years, three, four or five years. We've got a client that's been with us for over 10 years now. Okay. So it's an evolving process as well. That, that makes me think about retention being such an important part of the whole agency, running your agency, retaining your clients. And especially in your book, you've talked about clients like Samantha, who are like, even after getting great growth, they decided to leave because they had too much business. And sometimes clients leave for multiple reasons. So what are those things which you do in your business to help, which help you retain your clients and make them stay longer, happier? Um, Especially now that you, earlier I, I could still feel, okay, maybe you have your proprietary software which binds the client, but now th there's nothing which is binding them per se. So wh what's that binding force still? Because I know you're able to retain your clients quite well. Yeah. Number one, I think first it comes down to doing business with the right clients. Yes. Oh. Yeah. We have a saying that we repeat all the time here at Sing Show, and that's just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. Mm -hmm. And we can do PR, but we shouldn't. <laughs> right. So we don't do PR. So I think knowing where you're really good and where you're not is the first step. And then finding companies that value what you do and working with those kinds of companies is really important. And I think just being honest and open and if your clients know that you're working really hard to hit their goals, mm -hmm. they appreciate that. And eventually we'll get there. Like we have one client right now. Um, they had no ROI in the first year. Okay. They were a smaller retainer. It was a smaller engagement, but they also had zero marketing when we started. So we spent the whole year building a case. And I think they, they might have one one times ROI or whatever, they broke even. But we're now seven months into the second year and they've got an 8x ROI wow. so far. So when you average it out, it ends up to be like a 2x ROI, but it just took some time to kick in. And, and so, they were still convinced and confident in your ability to get them because moving on client from first year to second year with zero ROI and still ensuring that they trust you, that's, I think, you told the answer. It's about selection of a selection process of the client. Who do you work with? Not everyone, but certain people where you can feel that, okay, these are the right people who will understand your ethos. Starts from there and kind of goes on. Talking about working with clients, an important part of the same is pricing. How do you price your services to ensure that you're able to price it right, not something where the clients feel, okay, maybe they don't value you because you're too less or in fact, what is right in your, in your opinion, what is the right price, which an agency should charge and how do you go about pricing? That's a big question. Bye -bye. Um, <laughs> I, I think every business should be in business to make a fair wage. And yeah. if you can charge a premium for your services, cause you're really good, then more power to you. So when we do our pricing, first we look at our costs. What are, what are the costs that go into it? 
And then what's a fair markup for those costs? And then what's the ultimate value? So we do something I think that's very unique. I, I think our approach to building out a repeatable marketing infrastructure and then servicing and actually doing the implementation work is very unique. And our client results show it. They prove it. And our focus on niche industries and being niche really helps a lot. We basically price our services based on what we think is a fair price in the market that doesn't overprice us, but we also test it from time to time too. Well, sometimes it's just like when business is really good, maybe we get a new client opportunity in and we charge more for a service than we did before just to see, can we charge this much? We have some strategy processes that traditionally have been loss leaders for us. We lose money on them. Right. Uh, because we want to get a foot in the door or we want to win the engagement. Now business is going really well. You might be able to charge a little bit more for that and say, well, what if I doubled that price? Would people still buy? And so you got to test the market a lot. Sure. Okay. And you're a big proponent of creative marketing, not whack-a-mole marketing. Like you, you don't want people to just repeat. So how, how do you make your clients understand? Because especially if they've been doing something where, you know, and they've been getting some results by doing just repeating the things they've been doing. How, how, how do you actually change their mindset if, if they have a mindset of just numbers and kind of scale because of numbers? Uh, is there a methodology through which you approach that? Or is it the eight pillar approach which you talk about, which makes them understand that it's X and not Y, which perhaps will work better for them? Part of it's the eight pillar methodology, but nobody's talking to me and my company unless they're unhappy with their current situation. So okay. like they're, they're either with a current agency and they don't like that agency for personality reasons, or they don't like the agency because they're not delivering an ROI. Things aren't making sense to them. Or they're new to this and they're looking, they, when people hire us, it's going to be in excess of $100,000 a year, sometimes much more. So it's a big investment for these companies. So they want to do their due diligence. I think a lot of it is just saying, hey, one, we've got the industry niche experience. We, we know your business and your company's probably, your prospects and how they make buying decisions probably better than you do. And I would say the number one thing that we walk them through is the reason that it's not working is because they don't have a, a marketing strategy. Right. We've worked with hundreds of companies over 21 years and not a single one has provided us with a existing written documented marketing strategy. That's such a big statement, right? Imagine the amount of scope which is out there for anyone who's thinking to perhaps start an agency. And that's not just with, I think, marketing, with manufacturing as an industry, but multiple industries, I'm sure it's exactly the same scenario in each and every industry. People just don't have a properly documented strategy. That's if you think of it such a such a big open area for someone who can do it right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you got to do the strategy right. Just putting it on paper doesn't mean it's a strategy. Oh, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Absolutely. But having a plan, and that's what you mentioned, whack-a-mole style marketing. Otherwise, you're just implementing marketing tactics, hoping it's going to work. True. True. Absolutely. Also, you talk a lot about 
like working together with sales and marketing like sales is the blood of the mar- of the company while marketing is the blood pressure so how do you actually get them together on the table and make them understand because i th- i think that's also a big part of the overall results because end of the day it's the sales which will sell and marketing which so making them work together do you play a big role in getting them to work together as well as a part of yeah. the service thing it's really critical in fact most of our companies we are their marketing department they may have one or two or three marketers on staff but mm-hmm. most of them don't like we we do everything on the marketing side but we think of ourselves as pre-sales like okay. our our job is to help the company to drive more sales revenue whether from existing or new business and the salespeople want the commissions and they they want to do their job because they want to be heroes we do an extensive process in fact i just had a, a meeting this morning with a manufacturing company that said we want to move forward with you what's the next step and i said before we even sign off on a proposal or do a contract i said i want to come out i want to sit with you for 2 hours i want to meet with your sales team and i want to talk about how we can work together and see if it sounds like a good fit so we're going to walk through hubspot and the crm capabilities of it and lead generation and show them how the ecosystem works so that you know that it's a right fit for you as well versus just them agreeing to work with you and the longevity and the retention i think you're right. like it, it's all connecting that it'll start here if if you do this step wrong you could have said okay let's sign the contract here here's the uh, bank account details or whatever and and let's start but just you taking this first step that extra effort of going there working with the team making them understand what hubspot is what your technology stack is and then taking their yes will make sure that at the point perhaps where they're not getting the results you get that extra leeway of okay we are together we are working we are in this together rather than yeah. them working as an agency so okay amazing chris what's your mantra and philosophy of life chris pure as a person what do you believe in what's your goal that's a great question i think in general i just i believe everybody has a right to be happy and so uh-huh. i pursue happiness at all costs and so part of that is i want to pursue happiness in life and in work mm-hmm. i also think my mantra or how i operate is thinking about my epitaph when i die what people will remember i just want to be remembered as somebody who was honest that cared mm-hmm. was a good friend somebody that did what they said they were going to do somebody that was trustworthy and then i just like working hard and playing hard like i i like to be really active and i like to accomplish things impressive big dreams big big dreams and big things happen so nice let's have a quick rapid fire what do you think sure we'll, we'll try it <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite book favorite business favorite book? book favorite business book is the boutique Okay. I it's a professional services book. Absolutely fantastic. Okay. Is there a CEO you you admire or you're following right now? Not particularly. I do follow several like thought leaders, but they're all over the place. You okay. Know, so nobody particular. Any. Okay. Favorite online tool to grow your business? HubSpot. 
I think HubSpot. <laughs> I, I knew the answer to that. It is going to be that. What's your favorite pastime? Favorite hobby? Fishing. Yeah. I'm a big bass fisherman. So I know. <laughs> okay. What do you wish your 20 year self knew? If I could go back and tell myself 20 years ago, it'd be don't sweat the small stuff. Don't stress over all these things you can't control. Because I'm really good at doing that. It works out. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, Chris. It was great chatting to you, talking to you. I think so many knowledge bombs you've thrown in the last 45 minutes. Thanks a lot for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. It was great, great to be here. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you.